Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Health in the 406, where we're one community under the big sky. I'm your host, Jennifer Vansicle, longtime healthcare worker turned health educator. And we're going to listen back in to Rachel Anderson as she shares her journey with her daughter's struggle with asthma. I was so scared. I thought if she gets COVID, she might not survive it. Um, so that so that was really scary. Um, her job let her work from home, so that was good. So this is going into the fall of 2020. She and that summer and fall was terrible for wildfires, and the air quality was really really bad. So she she was struggling again because of that, and also and then she had gotten sick, just a a normal cold. It wasn't she didn't get COVID. She just it was a cold. But every time she would get sick, it would take her so long to recover. And uh, it was um, you know at this point she she was using her maintenance inhaler like she should. She had another medication, asthma medication she was on. She had a nebulizer. She had all, all of the things that she could have. Yeah. Every tool possible in the toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. So November 14th, it was midnight. Uh, I got a phone call from her boyfriend, Ryan. He told, he said, Mia is on her way to the hospital again, um, she had stopped breathing again. And he, she was with him at the time he did CPR. She, she knew she was going to stop breathing. She could tell. And she told him to call 911. He did that. And they got there. He said they got there within two minutes. But this time her heart stopped. And so the paramedics, uh, they got her heart going again, but it took 15 minutes. So when I got to the ER, the doctors told me I'm worried about her brain because she was without oxygen for so long. So... um, Doctors did everything they could. There's a whole process to go through. And I don't know what it all involves, but one of the things that they did was to cool her body way down. So take her body temperature down. So to allow the brain to heal is is how I understand it. So they did that. And that was several days. And this was all at the kind of the height of COVID where it was the worst. This was before there was a vaccine. And so visitation was really limited. So she could only have one person with her each 24 hours. So we couldn't be there with her all the time. Not both of us, her her dad and I both couldn't be there. And then then Ryan, her boyfriend. So we had to take turns. Wow. So your daughter's in this shape and you're only getting to see her pretty much every three days. Yeah. That's my understanding. Wow. Yeah. So, 
So the ambulance had taken her to St. Vincent Hospital in Billings. Uh, her dad works at, at Billings Clinic. So we actually had her transferred to Billings Clinic because insurance and, you know, all, all those reasons. So transferred over there. And the day we transferred over there, all visitation shut down. Oh, man. Yeah. But um, they gave us an exception. So which was was really, really good. Um, at this point, we were we were still very hopeful. Uh, she was gonna come out of it. And then they did all the testing that they do for brain activity. And it told us that she had enough brain function for her heart to work and basically basic, basic function. Um, but that's all. And so we had to uh, make that tough decision to keep her on life support or not. And uh, we knew that she wouldn't, she wouldn't want that. She wouldn't want to be, you know, on life support like that. So, so we made the, the decision that we would take her off. Yeah. So then these amazing uh, two women from Life Center Northwest came to talk to us uh, and they asked us if we wanted to donate organs. Mia, when she was 15, she she had signed up to be an organ donor. And so we knew we knew the answer was was absolutely yes. So they kept her on on the life support for I think it was three or four more days after that to line up all of the donor recipients. And they were just they provided so much support for us. And I really don't know how we could have gotten through it without that support. They um, they did things like uh, they gave us a quilt, put her handprints on it. They they brought these uh, little stone hearts in and put her fingerprint on all of them, so we could give them to her friends and family as a, a you know a way to remember her and so she saved three lives and she was able to donate um both kidneys and and her liver she she couldn't donate her heart because there's very specific laws about that and you have to have no brain activity at all in order to donate your heart. So since she had that little bit, just enough to, for her heart to work, she couldn't donate her heart. COVID was new. It actually could not be an organ donor if you got, if she tested positive for COVID, she could not be a donor. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So still lots of precautions so, and caution yeah, so happening. They, okay. They were testing her every day and she never, she never got it. And, but they did, they, they did let us 
be there with her. And I, I pretty much lived at the hospital that whole time and stayed there, you know, stayed there with her the whole time. And um, they let, uh, you know, everybody was able to come see her that needed to all all of, you know, her sister and brother and cousins and aunts and uncles, grandparents um, were all there in the ICU waiting room and they let us go back one at a time to see her. And she also was able to donate corneas. So restored sight to two people as well. So when, when it was time, when everything was set and it was time, um, they, there's a short window in order for the organs to be viable. We were able, we went with her, um, so they unhooked her from all the machines and then we stayed with her and, and until she passed. And then we had to leave immediately because there is that short window. So we had to say our goodbyes in advance. And the hospital does this really amazing thing when, when someone's an organ donor, they do, uh, it's called the, oh, now the name of it, just slipped my mind, but as she's being um, wheeled into the operating room, all the the staff, the hospital staff is all lining the hallways the whole way. And it's uh, a a walk of honor. That's what it's called, a walk of honor. And that was really amazing. And then they had Cody and I, her dad, write a statement about her and and then they read that statement in the operating room as a way to honor her for her for her sacrifice and it really uh it really really helps me to know that uh, three lives were saved because of her it's because it wasn't all for for nothing that something positive came came from it and Mia has always been, um, she was always a champion for people. Um, If there was somebody that was an underdog or being teased, persecuted, um, she, she always stood up for people and fought for them. And so it was, it's just very, very fitting that she would she would save lives in the end. It would it would make her her very very happy to get to do that. Do you um, did you ever learn about the recipients? Um, like, did you are you allowed to be in touch with those the people that received her organs or um, you know how how has it been in the two years since then? Um, how much contact have you been willing to have? Yeah, well? um, so. That all of the communication goes through Life Center Northwest, and they they only communicate things if you want to. And I I said yes, I want to know. And so I got a letter from them that said her without too many details. You know her her liver went to a man in his thirties, and 
her kidney saved a woman in her 20s and a man in in his 20s. So that that's what I knew. And then you can send letters back and forth to the recipients. The letters go through Life Center Northwest. And then so they called me one day and said, I have I have a letter for you. Do you want it? And I said, absolutely. So I did get a letter from one one of the recipients so far. And and that is amazing and and very helpful as well. I I'm going to write back. Um, that's one of my goals. I I haven't yet because to sit down and write a letter back is going to be very emotional and I just need to get there. Um, but I, I'm definitely going to. And I think it would be amazing if someday I I met uh, some of the recipients as well. So can you tell us about you know, your life since then, I know you're stepping kind of into the advocacy role. That's how you and I, I met and what, what, what's on yeah. the horizon for you, What's yeah. on the, what's on the future. So I have been looking for ways to, to advocate because I think asthma, when people think asthma, they don't always think that it's a very big deal that it's, they don't, I don't think people necessarily think of it as life-threatening. And so my goal is to advocate and get, try to get the message out there, how serious it is. Mm -hmm. And if even, you know, one person hears her story and ends up taking their asthma more seriously and take, takes care of themselves and and can prevent something like this from happening, um, then it's all, it's worth it. And so how I kind of got hooked up with this advocacy part is in, in May. So my son who's 17 also has asthma. And in May, I got a text from him that said, mom, I'm having an asthma attack. My inhaler is not working. And he, he was at work at the time. So this is some pretty big <laughs> PTSD for me. Um, I was I was actually very close. So I ran over there. Um, he couldn't talk. I called 911, the whole thing. Um, ambulance came. He went to the ER. He, he actually called me from the ambulance to tell me, mom, I'm okay. <laughs> um, because he knew, you know, he knew how, how scared I would be. Just. Uh, happening again. What for him, what happened was he had inhaled a whole bunch of smoke. He, he works at the movie theater. He, something went wrong with the popcorn machine. He was trying to fix it, breathe in a whole bunch of smoke. Um, so, so after that happened, uh, I went to Helena for work. Uh, I went to the state health fair in Helena and that's where I learned about the asthma home visiting program. I didn't know I didn't know that it existed. I didn't know about it. And so I decided to sign my son up for, for the program. I had, you know, grabbed a brochure about it and um, it sounded like a really great, um, a great program. So I went to sign him up and in the process of doing that, I came across a group 
called the Montana Asthma Advisory Group online and anyone could join. So I did. And um, I got a welcome email and was emailing back and forth with um, the director of the program and eventually went to a meeting in Bozeman last month. And that's where I met Jen and got hooked up to do this podcast. Well, we appreciate, we appreciate your voice and sharing your story. Um, I know I never took asthma seriously before. What's sad and what's scary is in Montana, there's seven people that die from asthma every year. And in our state, um, you know, our, our tagline, we're one community under the big sky. I guarantee listeners will know someone eventually, you know, whether now it's Mia touching those listeners being one of those seven every year, but seven over 10 years that 70 people died from asthma and some of it can be prevented. There's so much work to do and to be done. When you look at like youth sports coaches, uh, the only thing they get is a little box that says, does the child have asthma? Yes. There's no guidance. There's no bring your inhaler to practice with you. There was a, a little boy in Washington who died a year or two ago after having to do PE outside in the smoke, in the horrible wildfire smoke. Um, and so that's why I'm so glad that you came forward with your story of Mia, because, you know, I, I sit and as I listen to the care she got, um, you know, there's so much that can be done and more so every year, more and more new development. And one of the issues I think for a lot of people is the cost of the inhalers mm-hmm. is, is tough. Uh, yes. I went to get my son's maintenance inhaler recently, $300 after insurance. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's something that absolutely, I mean, even in the diabetes world, cost of insulin, you know, it should cost dollars. Why is it costing hundreds? Um, and a new thing that's popping on our radar is spacers. So a spacer is like a tube that connects to the other end of the inhaler that somebody can um, basically breathe a little slower and get that medicine down in their, their lungs. Well, spacers, a lot of insurances don't cover it and they're 11, they're $15. And in today's world, that's the difference between paying for half your groceries or not. Um, so how much do you think you're having to spend every month for medication for your son or that he is? Um, probably about, Three fifty to four hundred dollars. Yeah, and that's a bite most people can't take. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. It Absolutely. seems to the cost seems to change too. It's not always always the same. And the other interesting thing is the way that the provider writes the prescription makes a difference as well. So basically, if they write it so that one inhaler lasts longer than a month, the insurance makes you pay two copays for that one inhaler. Whoa. Oh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they have to write it so that it will technically in theory, I guess, get used in a month. In a month. So you can avoid the the two copays. And I don't know if that varies from one insurance to another. It could, but for the insurance we have, that's the way it is. Um, and you mentioned the asthma home visiting program, which, um, 
it had been kind of limited availability in Montana, but now it is in all 56 counties. And yeah, it's been proven. We've been in the asthma program. We've been watching the data on this for, oh gosh, years. And it can really help the home visitors can help identify things that might make the asthma worse. They can help you get your medications sorted out. They're kind of just that extra, extra helping hand to help with that asthma care. Um, I just, I, I wonder, you know, if Mia would have been part of a, of that program and, you know, maybe things would be different. Yeah. Yeah. Just that little extra education, that little extra care and, and time and let's help figure this out and understand what's going on and help you get, get through it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a year long program and, you know, not only that, but the recipient gets a, a HEPA air filter, which in Montana is almost starting to become a must, unfortunately, every summer because of that wildfire um, smoke that we, we all seem to live with. And yeah. And, you know, the other thing that's out there too, um, there's a thing called certified asthma educators, and these are nurses, pharmacists, respiratory therapists, um, people who have had a lot of experience in asthma. They take a very, very difficult exam um, and kind of almost become the experts on asthma care in the state. And um, those are frequently available. Unfortunately, it's not something that's really advertised because again, with a lot of billing, like a lot of them are pharmacists in Montana and they're not able to get reimbursed for a lot of that education they provide. They have to just do it kind of almost free across the counter, but they can really help with asthma care, but it's part of the struggle is getting the word out about that. And so we definitely appreciate, you know, you sharing your story and stepping out there with it to help spread the word. And I know every single one of us knows somebody with asthma and maybe whether they need it or not, that little bit of extra help could definitely go a long ways. Rachel has had to walk one very difficult path these past few years. I want to take a moment and thank her for sharing her journey, for sharing the memory of her daughter, and for stepping out and advocating for asthma and awareness of that chronic disease. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Health in the 406, where we're one community under the big sky. If you'd like more information on anything you heard today, visit our website at talkinghealthinthe406.mt.gov. Until next time, take care.